just for fun, I entered Share Vogue in their uh, writer's contest. It's called the Royal Palm Literary Award. Okay. And uh, that book won first place in historical fiction. And no one could have been more shocked and surprised than me. <laughs> but it, it gave me a message. I thought, well, I'm here now. Maybe, um, maybe I should be writing. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Hey there, I'm Cindy Coaches, and I'm the host of Pen to Paper Press podcast. I sit down with best-selling authors, writers, editors, publishers, and creative souls in my virtual studio to talk about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and experiences that began our journey as a writer from the moment we put pen to paper. In this episode, I am speaking with Nancy Blanton. She is an author of three award-winning historical novels set in the 17th century Ireland. She has three novels and has written a nonfiction book on branding. Her fifth book is available for pre-order in ebook format. And Nancy is a former journalist and corporate communications leader, and also the co-founder of Amelia Indie Authors Co-op. Welcome, Nancy, uh, to the Pen to Paper Press Studio. I have been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Cindy. I have too. I'm really excited to speak with you and be a part of this. It's an honor for me to, to join you of, of all the many people that you have interviewed. I'm glad to be one of them. Thank Aww, you. You're very welcome. Thank you. There is a quote on your website that it really captivated my attention. And it is a snow path to Dingle. And do you mind taking a moment to tell us, you know, maybe the behind the stories of this phrase or, or where it came from? How did you come up with this phrase? Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. And uh, that was one of the mistakes I think I made with my first novel is at the last minute, I changed it to Share a Vogue, a quick one word term. But the original name of that book was A Snowpath to Dingle. Uh, and it, it might be kind of odd for people to hear this story, but really, um, I had I had met with my father uh, like just a few months before he passed away, and he took me out to lunch, and he said, uh, "When are you going to start writing?" And I shrugged and I said, "Oh, I'm doing corporate work now. I, I don't think I can write anymore. I don't think I can do it." So he just he just said, "Well, you're you're going to write when you're ready," and. Uh, after about one year to the day after he died, um, I heard his voice one morning. I woke me up and I, and I heard his voice just call my name. And then uh, the, he wasn't there, obviously. <laughs> but the, very soon after that, I woke again from a, from a sleep and I had that phrase in my head, a snowpath to dingle. And it was such a fascinating phrase to me too. What, what in the world does that mean? And what, where does it come from? And uh, so I, it wouldn't go away. It would not go away. It was always in my head and just pounding like a, 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 a song that you hate, but you can't get it out of your head. <laughs> um, 
but I, uh, I, so I said, I guess I better research it. And the first thing to do was to research Dangle. That was the, the obvious clue to me. And so I started looking into the history of things that happened at, on Dangle Peninsula in the West of Ireland. And there, um, back in the 1500s, I believe, there was a horrible massacre there. Uh, the uh, Spanish had come to Ireland to try and help the Irish in a rebellion against the English. And uh, they'd holed up in a castle or a fortress there on the coast. And the English had uh, see, uh, put a siege on them and hounded them and finally got them to surrender. And instead of giving them quarter, they massacred all of them in a, in a horrible, horrible way, which I won't describe, but I never forgot. Um, flinging body parts basically into the ocean. Uh, and so I thought this, is this I never knew these types of things happen in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I knew, uh, I wanted to research the history then and see what, what the steps were that leading them to freedom. And uh, I thought of Oliver Cromwell because I had read, heard about him in high school and I knew I hated him, but I didn't really have the details as to why. And of course, he's famous. Oliver Cromwell did that bloody march through Ireland in the mid-17th century uh, to put down a, a, a very strong rebellion. And of course, he succeeded. And that was really the end of Ireland's uh, rebelling nature for quite some time. So that where that phrase comes from is that I was uh, working with a, with a story around Oliver Cromwell. And my protagonist was to, um, she was either to leave and escape Cromwell or she was gonna deciding whether she was gonna turn and fight. And uh, she was on a path of decision and it was the snow path to, to Dingle because if she followed that path north, it was dusted with snow and it would take her to a place where she hoped she could build an army and, uh, or, or at least some kind of defense against Oliver Cromwell. So it goes kind of far afield from there. And she ends up in uh, the West Indies. But that's exactly where the phrase came from. And I wish I had named my book that. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, when I, when I saw it on your website, it's like, you want to know where does the path lead you? I mean, other than to Dingle, but why, you know, to Dingle? Why, you know, why take the path? Is there another option? You know, what are the options? It just, it just kind of grabbed a hold of my curiosity. And it's like, okay, I got to ask about this. So interesting. And, you know, there is such an undeniable attraction to to Ireland um, yes. for many of us. Um, I've been there. I have a friend who goes there quite often. Um, and your book, The Prince of Glencora, The Earl in Black Armor, Share of Oak, uh, Brand Yourself uh, Royally, and your new one, When Starlings Fly as One, you know, they're all set in the 17th century of Ireland. You know, what is it about Ireland that drew you in and has you sharing that rich history of, you know, of that country? My father, well, my, my grandmother was Irish by the name of Daughtry, which descends from the O'Docherties in nor Northern Ireland. Uh, my father was a Depression 
baby. Uh, he grew up in the Depression, and his father, like so many, uh, deserted the family, deserted the wife and, and four kids. And so my father had to step up and be the, be the man of the house. Uh, and so he, he basically shut himself off from his father's side of the family and endeared himself to the Irish side, which was my grandmother's side. And he loved Ireland so much that he just drilled it into my, me and my sisters. And during when I was in college, um, I was lucky enough to be sent to a summer study course in Dublin at Trinity College on Irish history. Uh, and while I was there, uh, I met a guy, <laughs> I met a guy and, um, and ended up um, traveling with him. He was headed home on, on his vacation. I wanted to travel around Ireland. He was headed home on vacation to be with his family in Skibbereen in County Cork. And I rode with him and we looked at traveled along the road and looking at different things along the way, but I got to stay with his family. And he had a very big family and he had, uh, uh, his father was a beekeeper and his mother was just a cook and a seamstress and all sorts of things that she did. But it was a beautiful family and I got to know them. And uh, I still know him. He is, he is married. He lives in County Cork. He was a, a police officer, a, a lieutenant. Uh, he was in charge of the Bill Clinton visit when Bill Clinton went to Ireland. Um, but he and his wife have helped me research various locations around Ireland because they are adventurers themselves and they know where everything is. Uh, so that really is where it came from. I just, um, I, I can't go through a year without Ireland somewhere in, in, my, in my thoughts and in my head and um, the locations. There's something about Ireland, as you said, that is unforgettable, is so very powerful and to me, if I stand on the picture behind me, that's the Cliffs of Moore. And that I stand, if I stand on the cliffs, I get such an incredible sensation of thrill and joy mm -hmm. uh, that it's just, it just hooks me in every single time. It's an amazing place. It is. And I was there, oh, I was early 20s. And soon as I came home, it was, I made the promise to myself that I'm going back. And I always thought, you know, I would go back there and hold myself up in a cottage somewhere and, and write a best-selling novel on, on the history. But, you know, knowing me, what would actually happen is I would play tourist, soak up everything I could, you know, come back here and then maybe write about it <laughs> and, and book form other than, you know, just journal entries and blog posts. But um, <laughs> I agree. It's impossible to write there to me because there's so much to do and to see. So I take pictures and I just just soak it all in and bring it back. Yes. Yeah. It's not a place to I mean, you can sit in in idle there but it's not an idol-like boredom. It is idol as in being an observer and allowing your, your imagination to flow with the landscape and, and the, the buildings and the cathedrals that, that are there. And it's just, I don't know, there's just something there that just, it, it 
brings its little hooks in and says, yeah, hang out here for a bit. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a good way to put it. <laughs> so how did your training as a journalist influence how you researched for the accuracy? Because um, I can tell that you are someone who wants the truth. You're not going to willy-nilly make things up because, oh, this will be, this sounds better than reality. So, <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's, there are some people who would think that reality is kind of lame and, you know, want to kind of fluff it up. <laughs> okay, not kind of, sort of, but really fluff it up and, you know, take advantage of what really happened. But um, on my research of, of your books and stuff is what I can tell is that you are really passionate about the accuracy of the history um, of of actually what happened. So how did your you know your your teach uh, you know your training influence you on all of that? I probably the biggest way, and the, and I, I don't think it's maybe true in journalism anymore. But for me, it was it was beaten into my brain is that when you are going to state a fact, you better have three sources three sources so that you you can make sure that um, it's that they agree and if they don't agree then you better find out why mm -hmm. because um, for a journalist um, many well many people are aware when you read something in the paper and you go hey that's not true and then you want to call that journalist and say what are you talking about <laughs> um, so no journalist wants that phone call <laughs> no, so, no so you really want to be sure that you're clear and you're straight with your facts with the earl in black armor for example he was a very famous figure uh, the earl of strafford and i read three very thick bio biographies about him trying to get a clear picture of what his life was really like during the time period that I was writing about him. And um, there were all kinds of discrepancies between those books. And in the end, I really did have to make some decisions about what seemed most plausible to me and what uh, also worked for the story. So as a historical novelist, I do have that option to make some choices that are best for telling the story. But I really try to make, do, do my best to nail down with the, with the opportunities that are available, the, the resources that are available to me, nail down as close to the truth as possible. And right now is a good time for someone like me to be writing because so many historians have have this in this century anyway have come to the realization that most of Ireland's history has been written by uh, English historians and they may or may not have any interest in what happened for the Irish what was the Irish experience and a lot of that is being dug out and pulled out and uh, there's some amazing discrepancies there. Uh, in one English report of a battle scene that I looked at, the English reported that 600 Irish were killed. And the Irish side of it said it's more likely 16. This guy who wrote the report was trying to impress his superiors. Uh, and so <laughs> those types of things, it's time maybe that the Irish story was told. So that's, that's, uh, I, I go through, uh, 
biographies, all kinds of academic papers. Uh, there are uh, treatises that you can find in academia.com or there's uh, jstor.com, those places that have all kinds of information available on a variety of topics. And I feed on them. <laughs> I, I understand that wholeheartedly. <laughs> and I like the fact that you're not looking at one point of view for for the facts. You're looking at both sides. Okay, what what is the English interpretation? What is the Irish interpretation? What what tales do both sides have to share? And you know, and how far off is it? You know, that and like you said earlier, it is about determining what feels right to you. Um, and in many cases, that's you know through intuition. Yeah. So one question that that is an obvious giveaway is what is the catalyst that that got you started in that particular time period of Ireland? It probably was not a good decision making. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's not like you can call up, you know, Mrs. O'Malley and say, hey, what happened last year? <laughs> well, um, first of all, um, Cromwell or Cromwell's march was in the very middle of the 17th century. And so uh, I knew I would had some interest in that to begin with. Uh, I'm also a reader of historical fiction. And there are so many books in the um, 16th century, all about Henry VIII and Queen Elizabeth and on and on from there. And most Anne Boleyn's story has been told ad nauseum, you know, over and over and over and over and over. And really, from my point of view, Henry VIII was a serial killer. And why do we want to pay so much attention to him? <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, but I also had had seen some research and said that uh, had been done by a, another author that I follow, uh, and she said that the 17th century was perhaps the most overlooked by writers. Uh, I think probably that is true because of the complexity of what's going on in the 17th century, and they uh, there were many uh, atrocities that took place in the 17th century that people don't want to read about. And I actually was told by a British person that um, people in England don't like to read Irish history because uh, they always come out the bad guy. <laughs> oh, no, so I thought that was interesting. Um, but, but to me, I thought, you know, this, this would be an opportunity for me to illuminate something that I love and to bring it to light uh, and bring it to the minds of readers of historical fiction or whoever was interested in Ireland uh, about the, some of the things that happened there. So uh, granted, it's unlikely to hit the bestseller list because of that, because people, um, the, the uh, agents that I've spoken with have, have said that they, they don't see the ability to um, to draw the kind of audiences that they want to make money. Um, so I write this out of my, uh, my own drive and my own love. 
and uh, and my my mission, which was that to eliminate the 17th century. Um, and I and the to go beyond that, we get into the 18th century, where that that is pretty well covered as well. Diana Gabaldon, for one, has made it a worldwide event. <laughs> so um, I I kind of feel I have a niche where I am, whether it's um, the most popular one or not. It's fascinating and it's different and uh, so much happened in the 17th century uh, inventions thousands of invention inventions that made life easier for people in the 18th century uh, and uh, discoveries when we start out in the 17th century people believed that the um, sun revolved around the earth and by the end of the century, we have grown and changed and we have become enlightened. And we have, that's, and of course, King Charles in the middle of the century is executed, which no one would ever have imagined doing before because the king was a divine entity. People right. began to realize, no, the king was just a man. So uh, there's, there's so many things about this century that attract me and hold me here. And I'm, I, I, I hope that uh, if I am able to, I will fill the whole century. So I'm sort of starting in the middle and writing my books, working out from either to either end. <laughs> I love that. I, you know, it's funny how that all happens. And, you know, we write what we're passionate about and what we want to learn about. And and to tell the story of those who cannot tell the story. It's very interesting that you had publishers tell you that, you know, this is, this is not a profitable topic. I hear that from, from many writers that have been, uh, that have had the publishing companies they've been defiant and said, fine, if you're not going to publish what I have to say, because it doesn't fit the whatever, you know, the narrative that you want me to, to share, um, then I'll do it on my own. Because it's that important to, to you, the writer, the author, you know, us, it, it, you know, and I mean, you as in like all of us, right, that, don't don't restrict me. Don't confine me. Don't put me in a pretty little box. Don't put don't try to put a little bow on it and try to sell it. It's kind of like nowadays, uh, you know, you have to have all the right SEOs to have a, a you know a website or to have to have to be popular on the internet. And it's like that's not my message. That is not my message. My message has nothing to do, do with what drives SEO. I could care less about SEO, <laughs> which is really not a good thing since I have several websites and, you know, I used to publish a magazine and, and that was, you know, that was the first thing that if anybody submitted an article and it was SEO driven, it didn't run because it's not from the heart. It, when it comes from the heart, when it comes from our imaginations and our intuition, there's a reason for that. It's not to make money. I mean, that is a nice, you know, benefit <laughs> and right. is an intention, but it's not the reason. It's not the purpose. The purpose is to tell 
to to tell a tale that means something and it might be one reader reads it it could mean that thousands of readers or millions of readers it will attract the people that are you know that have a need desire want curiosity to read it and and that is one thing that i through this podcast i'm really trying to help you know people understand because there's so many that say oh nobody will read my book and it's like you know what if there's one person that does you got an audience (laughs) (laughs) and if you put your passion into it it's gonna it's gonna hit hit some chords you won't be the only one out there who has those those interests yeah exactly for writing these these books has your vision or or the mission of writing because obviously when you started off writing the first book you weren't really or maybe you were thinking of writing a whole series in you know in this time block um but from from then to now has your mission shifted from then to now or is it pretty much the same um it's it's well, you're right about when I was writing Share of Vogue, that's the first, first, it's not the first one chronologically, but it's the first one that I wrote. And uh, I just wrote it because I needed to write it. And uh, I didn't have, I, I didn't have confidence enough in myself at that time to believe that I could actually write anymore or that I should even bother. But uh, when I, when I moved back, when I was living in Seattle at that time, when I moved back to Florida where I grew up, I joined the Florida Writers Association and I started getting engaged with that. And just for fun, I entered Share Vogue in their uh, writers contest. It's called the Royal Palm Literary Award. Okay. And uh, that book won first place in historical fiction. And no one could have been more shocked and surprised than me. <laughs> but it, it gave me a message. I thought, well, I'm here now. Maybe, um, maybe I should be writing. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had already done extensive research to do that first book. And I, I wanted to continue to build on that. But I wasn't sure how. And so I was talking with some friends and they said, um, well, we love this book, but we want to know more about the woman's, the woman, the protagonist. We want to know more about her father. He, her father's mentioned, we want to know what happened to him and how he got in the circumstances he was in. So I had thought, well, I was going to write a sequel, but now I guess I have to write a prequel about <laughs> the father. And then we have the Prince of Glencura. And uh, at the end of that book, I, I have been building in my mind a, a wealth of knowledge, not to mention a library in my office of books on Irish history, books and treatises and uh, all sorts of reports and articles and uh, a treasure trove to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I perhaps could have, in fact, the, the last agent I, I met with, she said, without even looking at anything that I presented to her, she said, my advice to you is to stop what you're doing, change your name and write something completely different. Why? I got up and left. I got up and left because, you know, she's, 
she's into her that's that's what agents are into they they are they want what is going to make put money in their pockets that's what they're about and somebody described it to me this way is they want something if they know they might be interested in your book if they know someone right away that they can go sit down and have lunch with and sell it to but that's what they're interested in they really don't care about you or your product um Maybe over time, you might develop a relationship with an agent, but for the most case, that has been my experience. Uh, not just not everybody's experience. Um, okay, where was I going? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you and I, you know, we, you and I, I can tell, can easily sidetrack each other. <laughs> And I, you know, and I've got my little list of questions and I've got my little prompts and it's, it's really hard to, you know, not want to, you know, wander too far because I would love to ask you, how many times have you been to Ireland and, you know, where did you go and what did you see? And it's like, wait a minute, that's not about the, you know what, I guess it is about the writing process because that's how you, how you can really put yourself there is to actually be there i'm assuming you've been to these locations yes uh, and had you not been there had you not taken the time to go to these different villages and the different landscapes would you have been able to put it into words what it's like to be there uh, I don't think so. I don't think so because actually having been there is it's the the type of the feeling that I had when I was there uh, and and the the sounds and the smells and the sights and uh, but more than that the passion the yeah. passion about our I've been there seven times and the the feeling that I get every time is I, I, I just, oh, oh my God, I, I'm not going to be here long enough. I need more time. I need more time. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, uh, yeah, you're right. I would not be able to describe it in the same way. There are a lot of things that I, for living in Seattle, for example, in, in some places and in some ways, the, the landscape is similar and certainly the weather is similar. And so I did feed, I did pull from that a little bit too. When I couldn't be in Ireland, I could think about the seasons. Okay, what's it like right now, probably in Ireland? And I could compare, uh, I could use Google Earth and see what was going on. But being there and feeling it and hearing it, um, the the joy of it, that's that's what I'm hoping to communicate. Yeah, and that's that's what makes the difference between researching and experiencing. I love that. You're right. I yes. <laughs> because it's one thing to to look at all all your research and then, you know, to me it's like working on the high school history piece that you got to write for, you know, your 8th grade teacher actually that'd be junior high. You know, he wanted us to write story or, or report on, you know, this element that happened here in Michigan. And, and unless you were there, it, you know, you're familiar with the surroundings, how do you describe it? Does it snow there? Does it, you know, what does it feel like? Because, you know, the one thing that we keep bringing up, or while well, I keep bringing up is there is a majestic, divine, 
unique feeling that you feel when you're in Ireland that I I have not felt elsewhere. You do feel the history. You do feel you feel their presence. Um, and you can feel their pride in their culture. You can feel their culture. I travel during the winter months. Well, I travel year round, but mainly in the winter. And, you know, it's like going to Arkansas. It feels much different to, to be there than, say, in New Mexico or in Texas. Each place has its unique culture and unique feeling. And unless you're there, you don't really, how do you describe it? <laughs> it's true. It's you true. can read about it till your eyes, you know, bug out. <laughs> but to actually be able to feel it and be able to describe what it is like to be in Texas, you know, in, in the southwest part of Texas where your skin feels like it, you know, it could soak up a bottle of lotion and, you know, in a matter sure. of seconds or, you know, there's not enough olive oil to put on your skin to, you know, <laughs> soften it back up. <laughs> you know? Um or going to, you know, writing about North Carolina, the East Coast of North Carolina, or even Seattle, where you get out of the shower, you dry off and you feel like you need to apply the towel to dry off some more. <laughs> you know, you just can't dry off. How do you explain that without actually being there and experiencing Right, that's it? right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but what we were talking about where, um, where I kind of sort of interrupted your thought, plan was I had asked about what was your was the mission and, and the vision of your books from from when oh, you were right. writing to now how has it how has it transitioned That's the mission to me remains the same because uh, now I have a body of knowledge and it's growing and there are more and more books coming out on the topics that I'm interested in and so it just, it just continues and it grows and I am looking for the next story Ooh. that I want to write. Uh, the, the, my fourth novel, uh, I had stumbled, I was reading through some journals and I had stumbled across this uh, personal account of a castle siege during the 17th century. And it was written by the owner of that castle. And it was the longest siege in Ireland. It's nine months long that this castle was under siege. Most of them give up in within a matter of days, but some of them, I think there's been some in the Middle East that have gone on 25 years. They can, they've, they can vary, but, um, but this one was the longest for Ireland. And I thought, what a treasure to come across this personal account. This book's gonna be easy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh huh. So I had to research every single sentence <laughs> in his in his uh, account because he, you know, he he varied veered off and he told he talked about things that he could not possibly have experienced because he was within the cat you know inside the castle and so um, there were there was a great deal of research around it and it was difficult but. Uh, it's fast. It was fascinating to me about what life was like in a castle and being under siege by an opposing army. And it was also an opportunity. Well, this guy's telling a story as an Englishman under siege within a castle. 
what's going on on the outside with the Irish? What are they doing it for? What are they thinking about? Where are they coming from? How are their lives? And so that's what I did. And it may, uh, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't exactly follow the path of the, uh, the hero's journey. There is a hero and she does take a journey, but there is a lot of opportunity here. And what I wanted to do the book for is to tell those both sides. And so there's, there's some, there are chapters about what's going on with the English. There are chapters about what's going on with Irish and there's conversations about what, what they're feeling and what they're thinking and what their, what their struggles are. So that's what this book is, is for me, is um, bringing that forward. What is a siege like? What, is the, what are the opposing sides? And um, maybe, maybe is there an alternative way through it? Um, the only way, place that I really veered off of the uh, castle owner's story is at the end, there were, um, there were two Irishmen that went out to get help. And um, I have a female, a strong female protagonist, which we like to have sometimes. And she ends up being the hero in the end. But other than that, it sticks very, very closely to what actually happened in the story. You're flipping through it and you're, yeah, I could see where it'd be like, oh my God, this is, I've, you know, I've hit gold. I'm, I'm you know, Irish gold nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it, and you're looking at it going, oh, this will be so, this will be so easy. I've got an account, you know, I've got a personal account of doing this. And, and then it's like actually sitting down and it's like, holy moly, do I really have a, you know, <laughs> how, how, how is this a one person's account actual, you know, is it, is it real? Is it, is it a fable that they wrote to tell their children generations down the road? So yes, your journalistic training has truly um, been something that has driven your your and it's a natural gift that's not actually you know i i need to take that word training out of there because that is not really something you can be trained to do it it's a natural gift that that brings you in and wants you to build that community of like you said the knowledge i i i want to know more i want to talk to more people i want to learn um, I want to know what happened. Um, right. and that's not really something that's trained, you know, that would be, uh, being trained is like, oh, I gotta go do this again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bugger. I hate this part. Well, in actuality, it's probably one of your more favorite parts is to learn and, and do that research. <laughs> so well, I do, I do sometimes, uh, when I'm, when I'm finishing a book, I just go, oh, that was so hard. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> I can't stop. It's what I do. <laughs> I think that's how it goes for many writers, because <laughs> it, there's this natural drive, this natural curiosity, this need to, to share to share the story, to, to tell the tale, to 
to enlighten somebody of something that they may not have known, or if they did know about it, maybe to share a different perspective. So when I was going through my notes this morning, and I was making sure that I knew how to enunciate, you know, the you know, share Vogue, because <laughs> when you look at that word, you have to pause and it's like, whoa, how is that really enunciated? <laughs> so, you know, so when I was going through through my notes this morning, a question intuitively came to me. And it was one, it, it just, it, it made me stop. And I thought, no, I'm not asking this. And <laughs> it, but it kind of, you know, like you're like that quote that we talked about at the beginning, it just kind of like said, yeah, you need to ask. So uh, when this happens, obviously, I there's a specific reason for it. And, and there's a message for both of us. Who was this is the question? Who was one of your biggest fans of your writing? Wow. Um, that is that is a tough question. I, I thought when you said that, I thought first my father, he never, but he never really read my stuff. He, he read postcards and he read letters from me and he knew that I wanted to write. Um, and then there's there's my sister Daphne, who lives nearby, and she's always the first reader of anything that I do, and she's always very supportive. Um, the voice that she's, came. She's through. not always though. I don't know. She's always a fan. <laughs> she she loves Outlander. She's a she's a okay. fanatic about Outlander. And when I give her give her my stuff, I go. There's no Jamie. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no James Alexander Frazier in here. <laughs> um, but she's always there for me, and she's always engaged, and she's always involved. Um, and then, then there would be Andrea Patton, who is my um, my very good friend and co-founder of Amelia and the Authors, and um, she is probably my greatest supporter and um, nudger. <laughs> so to speak, right. to, 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 to move forward and to get it done. So um, it's a very good question. The voice that came through was male. And it, it reminded me of a father figure. There it is. So, um, and it was so funny, because we talked about your father towards the beginning of our conversation. And it was like, Oh, that's the answer to the question. <laughs> and so, it was my first answer, isn't it? And and he's he's where those first phrases came from. He's where the snow path from D, from Dingle, the snow path to Dingle came from. Mm -hmm. I believe that with my heart that that came from him. Isn't it nice to know that those messages come through and remind us that. They're never that far away. <laughs> That's a good thought. <clears throat> yes. Very good thought. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you, Nancy. Um, I, I want to thank you for your time, your openness about, you know, how you did the research and, and the storylines and so forth. 
This has truly been an educational conversation. You're making me even want to go back to Ireland even more so. <laughs> I am so ready for all of the, you know, the restrictions to be lifted and and uh, hop on a on a plane and jump the pond and <laughs> Absolutely. me too. Me too. Oh, yes. So I am very appreciative. I want to thank you. Is there anything that you wanted to mention? Actually, do share with us how can people find you on the internet? nancyblanton.com is my website. I'm also on um, Twitter and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and uh, I do a blog. I'm, I'm just really thrilled to be a part of this today and to talk with you. It's been great fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and, I, and I wanted to tell you that um, I finally, most of my books have a portrait on the cover. And I almost did for this book, When Starlings Fly as One, but I decided this book is about Ireland and people who read it are going to be people who love and care about and are interested in Ireland. So I put Ireland on the cover. <laughs> I love it. Um, and so I hope that, that I, I've done something in talking about this book to inspire some of your listeners because uh, it's writing is a, a wonderful way to spend your time. It is um, so soul feeding and uh, yeah. it's, it's an act of love, you know, whether you have one person reading it or, or a hundred thousand people reading it, it's a, it's a gift. And there was one quote, I think uh, that I, I'm forgetting the name right now, but was that the, the um, when you are writing, your responsibility was for the gift. And once you give the gift, it's not your responsibility that it's well received. Your responsibility is to the gift. Um, I love And that. so I hope people will keep that in mind that they have a gift and they are making a gift. Thank you for having me here with you today. You're a, you're a joy to talk with and we have so much in common. And this has been great fun. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up our episode. And before we end our time together, I would like to thank everyone for listening and joining us in the Pen to Paper Press podcast studio. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Pen to Paper Press podcast on your favorite application. Share it, share the episode. And leave us a comment in the show notes at pentapaperpress.com. And take a moment to join the growing newsletter uh, list so that you don't miss any of the future episodes. Take care of yourselves. And until next time, know that your words have power and your story matters. Bye for now.